how to stick to your 2020 financial goals and lose weight too. It's Brian Preston, the money guy, restoring order to your financial chaos, retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions. He's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. So, Brian, I think this... <laughs> you liked that, didn't you? you know, that, nobody did. knew I was going to put it in there. I was going to try to go right past it, and I couldn't even do it. <laughs> yeah, I think this is so wonderful, Brian, because one of the things that we all do whenever a new year is getting close to rolling around, we always think about these New Year's resolutions, these things we want to do to make ourselves a better person this year than we were last year. But how often do we see that not actually stick? So one of the things we want to equip folks with is if you have some resolutions or if you just are listening to this and maybe it's June and you just want to figure out how to get your financial house in order, we want to walk you through some ways on how to do that and how to stick to it. Well, let's go ahead and give them a first, a head start and know where they're going to begin and end probably with their goals. So what are the top five goals for New Year's resolutions. Yeah, so we actually did uh, some uh, really in-depth research. We <laughs> typed it into Google, and this is what we found. We found that uh, of a survey, I think this was uh, what, Daniel, was it like 2,000 folks or something like that? Uh, 71% of folks... That makes it scientific. That makes it super scientific. 71% of folks uh, say that eating healthier is something that they'd like to do in the coming year. 65% have some sort of resolution uh, tied to exercise, uh, 54% say they want to lose weight. Look uh, at that. I think the top three are all kind of related. They're all kind I mean, of related. Because eating healthy, why do you want to eat healthy? It's not because you don't like the taste of bacon. <laughs> it's because you're trying to lose weight. I mean, and then exercising, nobody likes exercising except for some weird people like yourself. <laughs> so it all goes back to losing weight. The yeah, top so three. the top three are all kind of weight-related-ish. Uh, and then uh, 32% of respondents actually said saving money, getting their financial. That's because they want to look. They want to have money to buy new clothes <laughs> with their their quickly smaller body. Uh, and then the last one, 26% of respondents said uh, that one of their top New Year's resolutions is finding a new hobby. So That's because you have to. Stuff. You can go do stuff outdoors with your newly fine-tuned body. It all kind of brings full circle. I, I know no how idea. the human nature. I had works. no idea you were going to bridge all those. So together. needless to say, this is a financial show. We do talk about exercise because we have a meathead on here, but it is one of those things where I do want to talk about how do you get your financial household in order, and let's kind of hit these. We kind of internalized this and said, what can we do to make this better so people actually have a roadmap so they can fulfill these things? Because I hate New Year's resolutions in the part that most people do not fulfill right. them. So that breaks my heart because I want you to reach your financial goals this could be day one. And so we thought about, and through all of our experience, uh, both working with clients as well as what we've both done personally, financially, we could break these down into categories and kind of work through each of the categories that we most often see where people need to have some sort of resolve or some sort of change. So let's do number one. This is the one that's going to help you keep it out of the ditch in case something bad happens on a Tuesday afternoon. And that is estate planning, because this is going to help you, and I want to cover the three biggest estate planning mistakes that we see. Yep, I love it. So number one, do you even have a plan in place? Yeah, I can't tell you how often someone comes to us, and if you are ever thinking about working with a bound wealth or working with one of our team members, one of the first questions we always ask, and generally these are folks who have accumulated some level of wealth, is, hey, do you have current estate documents in place? And I'm always amazed when I hear folks say the same song, Oh, no, you know, never got around to it. Oh, we started the process, but we never worked through it. It's amazing how many people just don't even have a plan in place. And it's one of those things. We we are always so worried because the will, especially if you 
if you do have children, is going to be that thing, that instrument that's going to help make sure that if you can't speak for yourself, that at least the kids will be covered. Now, this is not the first time we've covered this that's topic. Right. And full-time equivalent Daniel actually created an awesome slide that we were like, wait a minute, let's go pull it from the archives and bring this thing forward. So let's kind of share, because surely everybody, when it's so important, everybody's got to be creating estate documents, right? Uh, you would certainly think so. But when we actually, there, this is data uh, from 2019 from caring.com. We looked at how many Americans don't have wills in place. And what we found was that 82% of what they called the younger generation, ages 18 to 34, don't have wills in place. It's like millennials. That, it's like millennials. And here, you know, I think I think most folks generally, that's the age range when you start having young children. So yeah. I would argue that's probably the age range where a will and having your documents in place is probably one of the most important times. Uh, 63% of folks in the working years, that's age 35 to 54. So that's millennials to... That's Xers? Gen Xers. Gen that's Xers. That's Xers? I'm in that. That's generic, Generation X. Uh, about 40, the awesome Generation X. About 47% of those nearing retirement, so ages 55 to 64, don't have any wills. And then amazingly, 34% of folks, 65 and above, the retirement age folks, don't have wills in place. Hey, one thing before you, I want you to notice, because this will probably help reach my goal. I can't stay on the facial hair. You're rocking right now. But I do notice that full-time equivalent Daniel set up that the baby boomer, the sixty, the 55 to 64-year-old, he's got a Fu Manchu just like you. <laughs> so that's what I think he's trying to tell you a little subliminal I, thing there. Well, I'm wise beyond my years. I will agree with you. So it's amazing. This really important document, a lot of folks don't even have in yeah. place. So it is one of those things because wills is just one component. We also have financial directives. We have, you know, I mean, health. We have healthcare directives. Mm-hmm. We have financial power of attorneys. Yep. We have living wills, and then of course the guardianship provisions are built into the will themselves. All these things are super, super important just to make sure if you can never speak, if you're not able to speak for yourself, are your wishes honored? You've got to make sure you're being proactive planning ahead for these type of things. If you want to make sure that this is a goal that you attain in the next year, one of the things you have to fight is it's so easy for this to get put on the back burner. We see this all the time because none of us are planning on getting hit by a bus tomorrow. None of us are planning on having some tragic event happen. But it's that reason, because that's unknown, is why you have to have all these documents in place. So first mistake is you just nada, don't do it. You're missing it. So you got to cover that. But here's the second mistake we see is that you're giving yourself, I see it right now, you're patting yourself on the back saying, I've got to state That's documents. Right. The problem is, is that a lot has changed. We got tax legislation has changed. Maybe you've had more children. Maybe there's been some a marriage. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's been a divorce. Maybe there's been, unfortunately, some deaths in the family. Right. All of these things, you have to ask yourself, when was the last time I actually updated my state documents? Yeah, the beautiful thing is the state documents aren't something that have to be updated annually or reviewed super, super regularly, but they're not something you can just do one time and forget about because exactly what you said, things change, whether that be things in the law, in the uh, tax code, things in legal code, or just things in your personal life. So you want to make sure that you are updating those accordingly. And then let's do the third thing on where we see the biggest mistakes on the estate planning side is does your estate plan match your ultimate wishes? And and I want to cover this a little bit, Bo, because we've seen this in the financial planning side. I have clients that will, they're prospects, then they become clients. And one of the first things we do want to do when we get to this subject is we want to review their estate documents. I, I have read a few, and I'm like, what in the world was this estate attorney doing? And I'm talking about 
LLC here, LLC there. I mean, it just complexity upon complexity upon, upon complexity to where we even had four-wheelers that had their own LLC. We had jet skis with yep. their own LLC. And I was like, whoa. I mean, this is... I mean, if there's anything going on here, this just seems like a nightmare. And I get, look, we it, it, you truthfully do need to be worried about creditors. You need to be worried about lawsuits. So I'm not minimizing that type of stuff. And I want to want to go ahead and put the disclaimer, we're not attorneys. So that's, some of these things all have a legal purpose. Sure. I get it. But make sure your estate plan actually represents what your ultimate wish is. Because I knew that this complexity did not match the prospect. Mm -hmm. So then I started asking a few more questions. How did you end up with this here estate plan? And what I found out, there's a common thread. And I knew this was kind of where we were headed. It was a seminar attorney. Uh, so these are, and we've we dealt with this in Georgia. Yep. We've seen, and this was in a whole nother state in the, in the United States here is that out west, so it's one. I just I don't know why I made it in some obscured thing. It was, but it was an obscure state. But anyway, the thing I think is, is you have to be careful of. Free is not always free. Exactly just right. because somebody offers you a steak dinner or they're coming into your workplace to give a seminar on something, be very careful because if it doesn't represent you and it has complexity you might be getting sold something that's really not going to be an effective tool for you. And here's the breath of air that you can kind of breathe is that uh, while estate planning can be complicated and it can be kind of a cumbersome thing to work through, it doesn't have to be to the point where you don't understand it. A really good estate plan be should be something that you could very easily explain to your loved ones. Even if you are doing things like you have trust structures or whatever the case may be, you should be able to explain the what's and the why's behind your estate plan. If you can't do that, either one, you need to brush up a little bit, or two, maybe you don't have the right plan in place. That's exactly right. So let's Let's keep this thing rolling. Let's talk about when we're talking about financial resolutions, goals that you're trying to keep. Here's the second thing that we see, mm -hmm. investment planning. And this is here's why I want you to focus on this. You do this right, and I really do think it could skyrocket Absolutely. your success and what your investments can do for you in the future. And this really will take your, your investments to the next level. And I think the resolution normally goes something like this. You know, I work so hard for my money. I spend so much time. I do so hard at work. I'm ready to figure out how to make my money start working for me. So I, I think we ought to cover a few things. Okay. I, I love this because when we were doing pre-show planning, all the people who aren't in the industry hated this slide. But I think it's <laughs> worthwhile to bring it up. It's, but it is one of those things. I always like one of the valuable tools. When you're in the military, they have an after-action report mm -hmm. where you're supposed to look back and kind of see if there were some learning opportunities or things you could have done better. Your investments can kind of be the same yep. thing. I want you to look at your investments and ask yourself, how did they do last yep. year? Did they reflect what, you know, my risk profile, all the things I have going on when I want to retire, my financial profile? There's all kind of things that can go into your plan, but a lot of people are missing this. And then, exactly so right. let's talk about specifically investments and how the Callan periodic table can also help. Them. Yeah, I think one thing that we see so often, and this is a great year when we look at it, one of the things I think uh, that folks do is, you know, if last year was a really, really good year, yep. our natural human reaction is, oh man, I need to double down. I need chase to pick the hot up dot. the risk. I need to go chase the hot dot. Or if last year was a bad year, we say, oh, I don't want to go through that again. 
I'm ready to batten down the hatches. Well, we use this illustration all the time, and it's kind of small on the screen. If you're out there in iTunes world, we'll kind of explain this. What you can see is it is a grid, uh, a periodic table, if you will. Yeah, that's why it's designed to look that way. This shows a number of different asset classes, and they're color-coded. And this shows 1999 all the way to the end of 2018. It's the special 20th anniversary edition, Bo. That's exactly <laughs> it is the 20th anniversary edition. It shows how all of these different asset classes performed relative to each other. And what I think is so interesting, and we always ask folks, when we ask Reby this in show prep, hey, pick a color. What's the first color you see? And what she said to us, oh, I see the light blue. And I think the light blue she was talking about was real estate in this example. And what you can see is depending on when you were investing in real estate, it might have been the shining star in your portfolio, top performer. But what's amazing is how quickly you can move from a top performer in your portfolio to not a top performer year over year. So if you're someone out there chasing the hot dot, trying to recreate something that happened last year, you may be setting yourself up for failure. Yeah, this is one, now that we use this when we, as a tool when we're talking to people about asset allocation yep. too, because I think it is very common, Bo, you said it, behaviorally, we like to go what feels comfortable, and usually what feels comfortable is what did good That's last right. year. But as this chart shows, I never want people, because so many words and letters on this thing, really the big focus, like when we throw this up at a 401k presentation, is what are the colors and how are they bouncing around? Because it just shows you what was worst performing last year might very well be best performing yep. next year. What was great for two years in a row might be riding the bottom of the curb for the next four years. So be very careful and just going with what's comfortable of what happened last year. So we think that if you're going to think about designing a portfolio and how to pick investments, you don't want to base it on what the best performers or worst performers of yesteryear were. You really want to think about your personal circumstance. And one of the things we talk about all the time when it comes to individual circumstances are risk tolerance yep. versus risk capacity. Yeah, I mean, risk tolerance is how much can you handle? Mm -hmm. And let's face it, entrepreneurs, real estate developers, and real estate investors, they usually have a high tolerance That's for right. risk, but we always, when we throw out the word, so people know that term, because mm -hmm. I think the investment industry's had the 10 question That's right. questionnaire, suitability. Well, what is your risk you tolerance? Know, all those things for years. Would you do this after a market downturn? Everybody knows risk tolerance. The one that I always see people kind of like, Huh? What is he talking about? Risk capacity. Yep. Explain to him what risk capacity means. Yeah, so means. risk tolerance is how much that will allow you to sleep at night. Risk capacity is how much should you actually take on. You may not get nervous about market downturns at all. If the market were to lose 50% tomorrow, you're going to sleep like a baby. But if you're someone that's one to two years away from retirement and you need that portfolio of assets to provide an income for you, you don't have the capacity for that much risk in your portfolio. So you have to figure out how to weigh those two together. We see this all the time. You already said it with business owners. Owners, high, high tolerance. And even though their tolerance might never change, your capacity absolutely is something that will change through time. If you've won the game, why are you still risking it like you're 26 years old? Yep. It just You don't have to do it. So that's why we talk about both components, risk tolerance, risk capacity. And then here's something that kind of ties into risk, but it's also asset allocation and other things, is that investing is the type of activity that does not reward you for reaction time. Oh, that's so good. I mean, th well, think about it. Because so many things, video games, sports, it's all about uh, hand coordination, athleticism. How quickly and, you can And react. reaction time yeah. is very important. Investing is just the opposite of that. You actually need to be ready on the front end because if you're reacting, you're doing it wrong. That's exactly right. So we talk about 
We need to make sure, I've already talked about risk, but you also need to take into account your age. What does the asset mix need to look like? All this stuff needs to be done well before the poop hits the fan exactly on right. the economy. Because if you are looking at things and reacting to it, you didn't have your plan structured correctly. So then the next thing that we think about once we get past risk tolerance and then risk capacities, we're thinking about, okay, what's my portfolio look like? What's my asset allocation look like? But then we can even take that a step further and look at not just my asset allocation, what's my asset location yeah. look like? And, we're, and this is big because nerdiness I've practically turned you into a CPA from hanging out with me in my tax background. <laughs> Say it ain't so. I mean, it is. It's osmosis, you know, tax edition. But it is one of those things where we've realized, and this is one of the biggest things, I love target retirement mm -hmm. funds because they get the asset allocation right. But tax location is so important. When we talk about this, we're talking about do you have how much do you have in your after-tax money in your brokerage account? Yep. How much do you have in your tax-deferred accounts, like your retirement account, your 401k, and other things? And how much is tax-free, like your Roth? And what's great is if you build this stuff up, you can kind of manipulate how much you pay in taxes, mm -hmm. especially throughout retirement. And it's also important even in your high-peak earning years because it lets you do some tax planning so that you're not distributing so much income right. while you also have high wage income. Tax location is really powerful and something, one of the ways that I think we add a lot of benefit to clients. That's exactly right. You know, we, we talk about it all the time. You can't really control what the market does. You right. can't control whether your portfolio goes up or down. Uh, based on your asset allocation, you control how much of that you participate in. But in our view, there's really only two things that you can control. You just hit on the first one, it's taxes. What yep. you pay in tax and how efficiently you're structured. We think the second thing that you can control when it comes to investing is what you're paying in fees. No doubt. I mean, think about this, and the market's changed a lot on this. Commissions mm -hmm. versus no load. Because yep. a lot of mutual funds, and I think people, I mean, we are in a changing world. We just did an Ask the Money Guy on how free is changing yeah. things because it used to be just fee commissions versus no load. Now we've got index funds and we even have zero investments. That's right. uh, investments that don't have minimums, they don't have trading costs. I mean, it, it's just incredible how the world is evolving, but you can now control how much you pay in those fees. Internal operating expenses, Bo. You know, you've heard me share. When I started managing money, this is 20 plus years mm -hmm. ago, it was like the average was like one and a half percent. Which is sort of mind boggling for me to even think about one and a half percent just for internal operations of And a if people, because B shares were big back when I first got into the investment marketplace, it was not uncommon to have mutual funds with internal operating expenses, annual ongoing expenses of over two and a half percent. Unbelievable. And now that seems like. Heresy. I mean, yeah. you just don't, you'd be like, oh my God, they'd run them out of town. And then transactions fees. I mean, yep. all this stuff has changed so much. You can control how much you're paying in fees. So pay attention to That's it. That's exactly right. So let's pivot now to we've talked about estate planning, we've talked about investment planning. If you're going to keep your financial resolutions and your goals in line, let's talk about another big thing. And we kind of just hinted at it tax planning. And this is how do you pay less taxes without ending up like Al Capone and going to jail? Yeah, so we already talked a little bit about how you can structure your portfolio in a really tax-efficient way, and you can do that sort of thing. But we think there's even an additional thing you can look at in terms of how you think about 
what am I going to pay on a year-over-year basis? And not just on a year-over-year basis, but what am I going to pay over my entire lifetime from a tax bill standpoint? Now, Bo, you say this one. So I don't, even though I'm the CPA on staff here, I, I don't want, I'm not the only CPA on staff, but I'm one <laughs> of them. You used to be, but you're not anymore. I'm one of uh, several now. What do we have, three on staff We now? have three CPAs on staff. So now. here's the thing I think is interesting. You say this, and I'm always like, I love it when Bo shares that in client meetings. Tell them what your outlook on tax and what you learned in school about yeah, taxes. Yeah, so taxes, you know, we know that there are only two things that are certain, death and taxes. So it's sort of a necessary evil, but that doesn't mean that you can't be proactive because keep in mind, tax evasion is illegal. It will get you Al Capone. It will get you put in jail. Tax avoidance is highly encouraged. We I have don't know if the IRS is encouraging it, but they don't pers- prosecute you they, for it. They literally have designed an entire tax code around ways which we can avoid paying taxes. So with a little bit of extra effort, you can really optimize your financial circumstance. So since we know that being proactive, planning ahead, pays dividends, literally in tax savings, this is something that I think everybody thinks when you say tax time, they think April. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when you say you know, baseball, you know, big things happen in October, Mm -hmm. you know, because that's when the World Series. That's right. That is not, I don't think you build a baseball team and just in the month of October, just like you shouldn't do a tax plan in the month of April. So what's a better tact with that? Yeah, we actually think that tax planning is not something that happens on April 15th. It's actually not something that happens April 1st. Tax planning is something that should be going all year long. Because if you take proactive steps at the beginning of the year, throughout the year, at the end of the year, and then even up to tax time, you're going to set yourself up for so much success and no surprises when it comes time to file your annual taxes. So let's kind of talk, let's jump into a few of these. Like the first thing, I think like 401k, retirement savings things, because these are big savings opportunities. It's easier if you smooth this stuff Absolutely. out. Now, we will have people that will say, what if I have the capability of funding my 401k in the first three months of the year? And they'll even tell us, you know, I really, guys, I've thought about this a lot. Mathematically, that makes a lot more mm-hmm. sense because the longer that I can leave my money invested, the longer that it can compound. So I want to put my money in in January, February, March and get the full salary deferral maxed out. And that sounds like a great idea in theory. However, one thing you really need to be careful of is does your 401k or your employer-sponsored plan have an employer match true-up? A lot of the plans say that if you are not contributing every pay cycle, you can actually miss out on and lose that employer match. A real big example of this that we see all the time is the government TSP, Thrift Savings Plan. So look, I get it. Money in the market, eight out of 10 years, you make money investing. So if you just look at that 80% statistic, it's actually better to put more of your money to work sooner. Mm -hmm. What I'm worried about is the catch, that little asterisk in the footnote where your employer says, yeah, it's great that you pre-funded your retirement, but because of that true up provision, we're not going to give you match contribution. We know match is free money. Make sure you go do your research. If you are going to load it up to take advantage of getting the money in there sooner, pay attention. Maybe smoothing your 401k contributions could be a good thing. And then I put in there, or we talked about in the pre-show planning, dollar cost averaging contributions both in your HSA and then even looking at your IRA Mm -hmm. contributions. There's some benefits and things you ought to look at on this. Look, both of these things are good things. And the fact that we love HSAs because they're triple tax advantage. You get a tax deduction when you put the money in. You also, they grow tax deferred. And if you use them for medical purposes, it's completely tax free. That is it. some powerful, powerful stuff. There's even bonus level material if you let the assets stay invested and mm-hmm. grow. Not going to cover that right now because we're focusing on dollar cost averaging 
And then we like IRA, especially like Roth mm-hmm. contributions, because tax-free growth is so powerful. I promise you, your 40, your 50, your 60-year-old self will want to give you a wet, sloppy kiss if you have actually done all these things uh, consistently. The, and what I like about dollar cost averaging, not only does it smooth out volatility of the financial markets, it also makes it much more digestible on your monthly cash flow. Yeah, I, I can't tell you how many times I have a conversation with, with a friend or a peer and I'll tell them, you know, to be tax time and say, hey, I'm trying to, you know, I'm doing my taxes. I'm like, oh, well, tell me about your health insurance and we'll determine they have a high deductible plan. And I'll say, oh, that's so exciting. You know, this year you can do a $7,000 health savings account contribution and that's going to be a, a frontline deduction. Yeah, tax yeah. They're like, Awesome. I don't have seven Where grand. do I come up with seven grand? <laughs> so it is much easier from a cash flow perspective to make these things bite That's exactly size. right. So it's easier. Now, I do want to throw one caveat in there. We love Roth contributions, but even right before we hit record, there was a listener who reached out to us, or I was, and I was looking at comments. They were contributing to their Roth. All of a sudden, they find out, their income is much higher than anticipated. They got some bonus income. Now they are outside. So you do need to be careful. If you make too much money, like in Roth Mm -hmm. accounts, you might have to recharacterize, which is not the easiest process to get the money out of Roth and put it back into traditional form. Yep. It's it's a little scary. So pay attention to what's going on with your income and kind of give a guess, best guess estimate so you don't get yourself in a bad pickle. Yeah, logistically, what they say is if you are putting money into your Roth monthly and it's termed out that you're ineligible, not only do they make you pull out those contributions, you also have to pull out the earnings attributable to those, and that would be taxable to you and likely subject to a penalty. So if you're someone in that threshold, whether you're a single individual or a married individual, and you're within, I don't know, ten, fifteen thousand dollars at threshold, it may be prudent to build those contributions in an outside account and fund them once a year once you know for sure where your eligibility lies. So pay attention to that. It's very important stuff. And that this kind of I want to close out the tax planning segment, hitting the big three. Kind of a real oh, yeah. quick yeah, overview. Yeah, yeah. You know, so the big three in retire. If you want to talk about tax planning, we like to talk about retirement contributions. And I would say that's the big one, right? That is the the number one low lying fruit for sure. It is the number one. What? Oh my God! How do you say it? The number one best way to legally hide money from the government. Yeah, I mean, because it's good societally if you're saving for the future, so they encourage that behavior. So make sure you're maxing out the employer plans, the self-employed plans, your own individual. Roth IRAs, all those savings opportunities will pay off many, many years in the future. And then also look at the timing of your income and deductions. Always remember you want to try to defer income, accelerate expenses, because this is going to allow you to take advantage of being very proactive with how you do your tax planning. You know, I have uh, a lot of folks all the time. They're like, "Hey, give me, give me a tax tip. Tell me a little, a little thing." And they always ask us at the end of the year because people always want their tax tips either on April fourteenth or December thirty first. And I always say, "Okay, well, are you someone who's charitably minded?" And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." I was like, "Well, tell me about that." Oh, I give money to my church on the first of every month. That's awesome. One thing you could do is instead of writing your check on January first, write it on December thirty first. Get that deduction into this year. Yeah. Little things like that, accelerating expenses or or postponing income are great ways to tweak your tax bill. And that's actually a great segue into the third biggest low-lying fruit is just charitable contributions. People ask me, what's a great way? And I know it's boring, but charity is one of the easier ways to get it. Um, It is a little harder. I will fully share because now the the standard deduction has gotten so high. Mm -hmm. So that's when you look at things like 
qualified charitable distributions and other planning opportunities. We cover that in an upcoming show that's coming out. But I did want to throw one more honorable mention because, Bo, I have the exact same thing. When I was doing taxes for close to 20 years, people would say, how can I lower my taxes? And after we talk about these big three, which is the retirement contributions, Mm -hmm. the timing, the rest is just no deduction or credit should be left behind because this is the obscure stuff that everybody always overlooks. And it's typically things like your local taxes. If you've got some obscure local tax that you're, you know, tax, you know, local government's charging, Mm -hmm. it's more than likely deductible. You just need to make sure you tell your tax preparer or take advantage of it yourself. Tax credits, these things slip through the crack all the time. And the fact that like child tax credits now are much, much higher than they used to be from an income perspective. It used to be cut out at around a hundred thousand. Now it's over 400,000. So so it's one of those things, make sure you're getting credit for all the rugrats, make sure you're getting credits for all their education expenses. Because you do, you get, you get education credits. And then if you're making obscure purchases like an electric car, there still are some tax credits. No credit, no deduction should be left behind. Follow the same type of mantra that our military is doing. I, I think what's so funny is you used to tell me, Brian, when you, one of the ways when you were a tax preparer 100 years ago and you used to do tax prep, <laughs> you would always tell your clients or you'd always try to find this win that, okay, yeah, you're paying me a fee and it's going to be a couple hundred dollars or whatever. My goal is to find a couple hundred dollars of credits or deductions or things that you missed to help justify the fee. That's a great plug for maybe seeking out professional tax guidance if you're someone who has potentially a more complicated tax situation. Yeah, and even if they can't save you money this year, maybe they can give you some tax planning strategies that can help you in future years that will also help offset their fee. So that leads us to... Number four, this is, you know, when I talk about financial resolutions or staying on your goals in 2020, how do we stay on track? And we think that there's one key decision you can make in 2020 that will make a tremendous change in just how your brain works, processes, and success that you'll actually have come upon your financial life. Yeah, you know, I've thought about this a lot, Brian, because we've been doing this for a long time. And we always get asked the question, hey, what's one piece of financial advice you would give? Or, hey, what's, give me a tip or tell me one thing that'll just change my life financially. And and I think the more that we've gotten asked that question, the more you and I have talked about it, the more we've thought about it, we've come up with our one. We think for anybody out there, no matter where you are in your walk, no matter where you are in your stage, there is one thing that you can be doing financially that should be the cornerstone of starting you starting to define where you are now to where you want to be, ultimately. It is the net worth statement. That's exactly right. Now, here's what, and you were just alluding to it. I love that this really does wake up that invisible hand of success. Is because your brain, I'm telling you guys, you start recording where you're at financially by doing a net worth, which is you have your assets minus your liabilities is going to equal your total net worth. If you will start recording this, you will be amazed at just... When you, especially year-over-year year changes, you're going to be like, holy cow, I cannot believe how much my life has changed. Now, you heard me say year-over-year. Year. Oh, I'm so glad you're going to say that. We do our net worth statements annually. Mm-hmm. We've had so many of you guys reach out and say, I'm doing mine weekly. I'm doing mine monthly. I'm doing mine quarterly. There's no wrong answer. It's more of how mature your net worth statement is. We've been doing it for a while. A you just time. you alluded that in the beginning. So we actually have doctorate level net worth statements that have been out in the workforce. They're now paying us dividends. A lot of you guys might be brand new to this. They're, they're, your net worth statement's still pooping all over itself and you have to feed it. So you gotta you got to look at that thing weekly, monthly, because it wouldn't survive without some input on you. This is what you have to do is you got to 
look at it because here's the other thing I like about net worth statements. They're going to show where the struggles are mm-hmm. and where the successes are. Yep. And that's why that invisible hand is going to recognize a lot of this stuff, but it will kind of draw attention to where you are having issues. See, you know, I've got some I've got some cynical buddies uh, because they fall into the, the millennial camp. They're like, why, why would I do a net worth statement? If I want to know what I owe and what I own, I'll just go print statements. It doesn't seem like it's viable to do that. And what I try to tell them is the value is not in just doing it one time. It's just like the value in Roth IRA isn't making one single Roth IRA contribution. The value in doing a net worth statement is doing it year over year over year over year over year so that you can, just like you see, see where those pain points are, see where those things that are doing well are doing well, and you will be amazed. We were talking to to someone a week ago and we said, hey, do this thing that we're talking about. Call us in 10 years and you're going to be amazed at where you are versus where you are right now today. Well, it's also, we, we talked about there's a, the, the benefit long-term. It's going to free you up to relax. Mm-hmm. When you know that your army of dollar bills, meaning your change in net worth gets bigger than what you make through earned income. It's, it's crazy. It's going to make you realize you really are getting close to that financial independence yep. point. And then also, I think it gives you perspective. You know, when you're talking about are you ahead of the curve? Are you behind the curve? Have you been run over by the curve because you've done absolutely nothing proactively with your financial life? This is going to be the tool. And it really is. We talk about it, Bo. We could do shows on this. Absolutely. We could do courses on this because it is just so powerful that we're just scratching the surface with this discussion. Yeah. So if you're someone who has not done it, start doing it and you will be amazed at how it is going to have a positive impact on your overall financial situation. So Bo, I I will tell you, after doing this show, I'm kind of getting excited about getting those financial resolutions put in order. Yeah, I am too. We are at the point now where we're talking about. So give them a quick review, a kind of a recap of the four big things that we kind of covered. Yeah, number one, you want to make sure you have your state plan in place. You want to make sure you're covering your risk. Don't miss those big three. Don't make those three big estate planning mistakes. Make sure you understand your investment portfolio. What are you doing from an investment standpoint? Why are you doing it? Do you understand your risk tolerance? Do you understand your risk capacity? Do you have a grasp on the things you can control inside your financial situation? Uh, One of those being fees, the other being what you pay in taxes, whether it be in a portfolio standpoint or just when you do your tax return every year, do you understand your your tax situation? And then number four, do you know where you are? Do you know where you're going? Do you know where your pain points are? Do you know where your strengths are? If you're doing a net worth statement annually, you're going to know the answer to those questions. Man, great recap. And that kind of, that lets me close it out. And we did have, there's another value add Full-time equivalent Daniel has been working on, we've got a blog out there, how to build good financial habits and actually keep them. Yep, I love so it. you can go to moneyguy.com and check that out. There's also going to be a link in this description, so definitely use that as a resource. And speaking of resource, we've actually expanded what's going to be coming available on moneyguy.com. Go to the resource page. You guys, you're going to, this thing is going to keep getting added mm-hmm. too, so you got to go check that out. And then, Bo, let me see your phone. Okay. Let me, let me do the pose. Oh, see? We're on the gram now. <laughs> you know that's not me. I had nothing to do with that, but we are now on Instagram, so go check that out. Um, I probably did the most awkward selfie no, because I don't know what the heck I'm no, doing. No, that was awesome. And uh, that closes the last thing, abundance cycle, because we are closing the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Thanksgiving's coming. Around, you know, as right as we're in that season where you really do look at your life, you look at what's around you, and you're so thankful for the blessings. And guys, 
That's how the abundance cycle started. This all started as an educational platform where I felt in 2006, I was like, man, people just do not have resources to get to a certain level to make the right financial decisions. They're being sold to, they're being taken advantage of. So we started doing this podcast in 2006 and it just keeps building, building, building. I mean, we have a staff now. I feel so thankful. And kind of the purpose has even grown Mm -hmm. and it's gotten fine-tuned. And we call this the abundance cycle where we want you to come learn, apply, grow. Consider that we're planting seeds. All this knowledge is coming to you is cultivating your success where at some point you're going to need to harvest it. You're going to need to reap, you know, what has all been planted. And you're going to probably realize you're so successful that you might need some help. You might need a Mm co-pilot. That's when Abound Wealth, the Money Guy team, take the relationship to the next level, reach out to us through the contact page, and we'd love to hear from you. We love working with clients all across the country. We are so blessed and so thankful for every one of you. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. Brian Preston is a principal with Abound Wealth Management. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Security and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. (laughs) 